you wouldn't want you to miss out on those whispers. And welcome back to another episode of Northwestern Whispers. I am your host, Nate Whisper, and my lovely co-host, Amy Whisper. How are you doing this week? Good. I went to the place we'll be moving shortly. Yeah, we did. Yes, we did. Tiny little town. Tiny little town. Tiny little town. Anything else to add? No? Nothing? Normally, we're really quiet on this intro. We don't really have much to say. We When we went to the place we're moving, they have this cute little cemetery with all, like, wooden crosses. And it's got this cutest little white picket fence that looks completely like nobody's ever painted it since it was put there 150 years ago i was wondering if you were gonna actually bring that up i think it's really cool it looks super neat and it's just the crosses are all like wooden actual crosses not like headstones so much other than the three headstones that were there like they were new but i mean it it actually does show a sense of style artistic style like it like the big club you're you're not cool unless you have a white wooden cross as your marker i never have much to say at the beginning i don't know i don't nothing really happened okay so uh on our trip up to the new place we were living it's like 1200 and change kilometers north of where we live currently yeah that's right and that's really far north was it the 55th parallel 55th parallel above the 55th parallel yeah 55th parallel whispers <laughs> 55th parallel whispers and change all of our social media to that right away here yeah not happening <laughs> not happening oh hey you know what's cool in relation to the podcast we finally uh spotify started working so you can hear us on spotify like 100 percent now all three of the current episodes we're a bit late coming up with this week's episode um though uh, we are very sorry about that uh we both have day jobs and to our dedicated nine listeners yeah dedicated because they're mostly family members who feel bad for us and probably listen to it like <laughs> two or three times because they fell asleep the first three times oh dad <laughs> thank you for trying if it's any consolation i've tried to go right to the ghosts as much as i possibly she can. has gotten better <laughs> I learned my lesson. I know. I'm sorry. That was like the first thing you said when we were done recording that episode was, wow, that was a lot of history. (laughs) There's a reason. Maybe next time. Now I remember why I didn't like history back in high school. I don't care. I like history. (laughs) Sometimes history. That's the part that intrigues me. Sometimes it is. Did you do anything fun this week? I made a 1,200-kilometer drive (laughs) of north along with you. I mean, You drove 1,000 kilometers or so. More than that. But, I mean, you did the brunt. You did absolutely the brunt of the driving. And but you drove my manual Jeep. I damn right I did. You learned how to drive manual kind of okay. Just not through construction, stop and go stuff. No, not in a, cities and I'm not in stop and go stuff. still learning how to do this, the starting. It's The teacher I have is telling me something, but in actuality, it was a little different than I expected. But I'm learning. Every car is different. I've only done it, like, I've only start stopped from start, like, maybe a handful of times. I haven't done it a lot. Okay. I, I mean, I, you did really good. Thank you. You're welcome. Gear shifting is okay when I get up to third gear to fourth. Yeah, but fifth. I'd really appreciate it if you would stop slamming it into gear, because that's going to break my gear shifter at some point. 
gonna break the stick fast and the, the furious actual stick you know you never noticed have you ever noticed that there is any jeeps in the fast and the furious franchise have you ever noticed on the driver's side um i don't know what it's called like the the visor yeah the visor that it tells you there's a severe tipping chance because it's got such a high wheelbase on your jeep yeah on the jeep if you go around a curve too fast that's why the fast and furious doesn't have it because if you drive too fast in a jeep and you take a curve too hard or hit a pothole you can tip or some washboarding yeah yeah the jeep is super easy to tip because it's got a really high clearance from the ground so because of that it's way more likely to fall sideways, like to turn over to roll, you know? Yes. Yeah. Winter's going to be fun going off that road, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of like an adventure. Put it in a four-wheel drive. I'm sure I'll... Uh, it's an adventure. Four high. Every okay. time. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, let's continue. Let's start with the episode. Um, what do we have for your side of the story? Uh, we, I'm going to do the Amherst mystery. The Amherst mystery. Yeah. Okay. My side of the story, like I noted back in the last episode, would be the Dundurn Castle. Some place that was pretty close to home back in the day. Back in, back in the day. Back in the day. From whence you came. I have not been in on any ghost tours, but I have walked the premises more than a few times. They have actual tours inside the they, house. They do have tours, and that's I, I'm glad you bring that up again when I start talking okay. because <laughs> there is more to that than meets the eye. Okay. But there's there's ghost tours, and then there's the historic tours. Yeah. One talks about ghosts. The other talks about the history. No, it refuses to admit that there is any ghosts. Um. Okay. According to refuses to admit is one thing, or just doesn't mention them is another, right? Uh, they just don't care. They don't believe in it. Mm. They just, or they just don't bring it up. Maybe. So, like always, yeah. ladies first. All right. So the Amherst mystery is a poltergeist. It's not actually a ghost, technically. So but what's the difference kind between of. a ghost and a poltergeist oh boy okay quick background so a lot of people believe that poltergeists are other than the movie which scared the crap out of me even to this day the original not the original the remake. yeah not the remake i don't know the remake wasn't terrible also filmed in hamilton was it yes uh, ontario yes nice well, the, the whole hamilton. thing or parts of it the whole movie really yeah the, i know the house because i the actually, new one yeah really the one that was filmed back in 2013 uh ish roughly in that time frame okay i believe you you know way more about movies than i do um they actually they actually rented a house yeah it's not film edited it's a full out in the house <laughs> crazy anyway it doesn't matter we're off topic <laughs> poltergeists so a lot of people believe that i mean i'm not by any stretch of the imagination a wealth of information about you know poltergeist versus spirits versus ghosts versus well, other things but from my understanding a poltergeist is often believed to be uh it's often in relation to a youth whether it's a budding teenager female or male primarily females they're usually connected to female teenagers and a lot of the time they're associated with people who have really high emotional problems um going through things in their lives that can cause them 
a lot of stress. hardship. Yeah, stress. Um, Strife. Things that would make them um, less less capable of dealing. Like they're just they're already at a time in their lives where their hormones are going crazy, and now they're trying to deal with you know something else that's putting way extra strain on their ability to cope with their situation. Basically, a lot of people believe it's telekinetic representations of the emotions felt by the teenager in question. Oh, okay. So, so it's, it's the. the- feelings that you get not actual spirits it's like the yeah emotions behind it the belief is that the emotions are running so high they can't be controlled and as a result to be released they're released in the form of telekinetic energy energy, (laughs) which causes things to happen but it's not like the teenager looks at something and thinks i'm gonna do that thing it just that's just how it releases as energy it just causes things or it causes an actual entity which is in and of itself technically manifest into something yeah it technically manifests as a physical entity or as a non-corporeal entity so the movie was actually right uh it it translated into this huge manifestation of this gigantic creature i don't know about that that's that's hollywood magic for you well that came down like there was a whole bunch of stuff like the original one or the newer one the original one no because the original one had a whole the original one had a whole bunch of stuff like cemeteries and stuff on the ground right like there was a whole bunch of stuff going on in that one that it could have been a bunch of different things but the belief system it was the manifestation of all entire like it was the feelings of all the spirits that were gathered on that property and land or was it just the spirits i don't know they didn't really make that but that's super what you clear. mean by poltergeist it's the manifestation or feelings of the the, the emotions the energy and the emotions and usually in connection with the teenager that's yeah basically you know what i i've heard the expression before i've just never kind of put it into words but that actually does make a lot more sense now yeah i've watched a lot of dead files that's basically <laughs> how i learned that amy allen just talk about it every once in a blue moon yeah so the amherst the amherst mystery happened in nova scotia uh it's quite old um so esther cox is our youth in this story she wasn't uh super young she was actually 18 going on 19 and in part of the story she's 18 and part of the story she's 19 um she was born in 1860 on march 28th in a cottage she lived with her family, um, but uh, not her parents so much. Uh, her older sister, Olive, Olive's husband, Daniel, Teed, um, and then they had some um, brothers and sisters, so they were just all there. There's a lot of people in a tiny little cottage. Um, Esther's mother died. A while back. Wow. She e- died uh, when Esther was very, very young, like three weeks, I think. Um, One of our episodes that doesn't involve death. And their dad, Archibald Cox, remarried and abandoned the kids to the grandmother. And obviously the grandmother died. Uh, and then the sister took over all the brothers and sisters' care. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, at the time, everybody was dying left, right, and center. It's 1878, by the way, at this time. So, okay. I mean... It's been a while, and there wasn't very good medicine or anything, so everybody just died willy-nilly. 
Um, Esther was known to be really strong-willed and decisive, um, kind of moody sometimes. Think like current day emo, right? Okay. Like she was kind of like an emo, but for the most part, she was gentle and gentle and mild. But she did suffer from like mood swings, which would play into this kind of stuff. And how old do you think she was? Uh, at the time, she was eighteen ish, and then it, the story goes on over her birthday. So it, she also is nineteen at the end. Okay. Um. So the way that the story goes, in the summer of 1978, she liked a boy, a guy, like an adult male, um, named Bob McNeil, who was a shoemaker and worked with her brother-in-law, Daniel, Daniel Teed. Right. Um, He basically showed up at her house, was like, I'm going to take you for a ride. She hopped into his carriage um, and then took her... Sounds romantic. Yeah, super romantic. Well, at the time, that was like their outing, right? Um, she was like infatuated with this guy and all of a sudden he notices her and decides he's going to take her out. Anyway, so he asks her out on a ride, uh, decides that he's going to take her away to the middle of the forest nearby. Um, Again, sounds romantic. Not near enough by that anybody can see them. (laughs) And then pulls out a revolver and orders her out of the carriage. Oh, you can imagine kind of where it's going to go from here, you know, single 18-year-old female and a dude with a revolver in her face out in the middle of a clearing in the forest. You can kind of imagine what he's looking for. Yep. Um, but she's saved from anything too, too untoward because a passing carriage scared him. Startled kind of, him. Yes, yeah, kind of startled him. So, you know, he kind of attacked her and I mean, it's still not okay to do what he did but well absolutely but luckily she wasn't physically injured that's okay do you know what i'm saying not that she ever noted anyway she never stated she had been physically injured okay the story doesn't come out she so she full-on refused to like go along with anything that he's saying um because she's so brazen that she basically is like no I'm not doing anything you want me to do. Um, anyway, so that carriage comes by, uh, scared McNeil enough, and then he just brings her home um, and drops her off at home. Uh, she spends the next week being super upset, um, not her usual bouncy kind of self. She doesn't. She's not really as uh, willful as she usually is. She just kind of sits quietly, and, and she cries that entire night. Um, but doesn't tell anybody what happens. Everybody just thought, you know, he turned She's, her down. Yeah. Um, but didn't actually share what had happened with her family at that time. So she never said. So obviously she was super traumatized about it and just couldn't talk about it yet. She was stunned and just wanted to sleep it off almost. Yeah. Self sleep. Yeah. So that was late set late summer 1878 on September 4th 1878. So after that happened a few weeks later. Uh, Esther and Jane, they share a room. Esther thought she felt a mouse in her bed, just like kind of crawling around. Uh, but she, neither she nor Jane could find it when they were like pulled all the blankets off and looked for it. They tried to go back to sleep after that because they couldn't find the mouse. So they were like, yeah, whatever. We'll just look in the morning, whatever. You know, maybe it buggered off. Mm -hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden rustling came from beneath the bed that they were sleeping in. They were like, oh, mice. Oi. So... They uh, got down to look for where the rustling no, was coming do it, from. Do 
And they did. They went under the bed, and it was a little box that was filled with, like, quilting supplies and scraps and stuff. Okay. Uh, so they Ooh. were like, oh, the mouse, thinking. like, left the bed and went underneath and grabbed – they went into the box. So they pulled the box out of the bed. When they pull it out from under the bed, the box literally, like, pops up into the air, falls over on its side. Nobody touched it. It just did it by itself. What? So the girls are screaming, of course, because, like, what the heck? And the brother-in-law, Daniel, comes in but says they were just dreaming, go back to bed. So they put the box back away and go to bed because, of course, that's what you would do in that situation. But what's in the box? And nothing, just quilting supplies. There was nothing, just quilting supplies. And then there were no other, like, nothing else happened that night. So they just kind of were like, well, maybe we were sleeping. They, shrug they shrugged it off. Okay. Yeah, maybe we were sleeping. Who knows? Esther didn't really feel well the next night. Um, she got a fever, so she decided to go to sleep early, kind of like a lot earlier than she would usually. And she was like burning up, like, you know, you can touch your skin and she was hot. Uh, in the middle of the night, while the house was quiet and everybody was sleeping, all of a sudden Esther wakes up Jane, complaining that she was dying. Dying. Yes. So she's like loudly complaining that she's dying. Um, Jane... Um, using the primitive lamps that were available at that time she so jane lights the lamp and goes over and checks out esther and esther is like actually dying so she at first she was cold um to the touch so you, like mm -hmm. jane touched her skin and she was super cold and her skin was just like pale and then shortly after that um her eyes started to bulge and her face went like blood red and she was terrified, obviously. Um, Esther's hands and her feet swelled up and then she complained saying that she felt like she was going to burst, right? Because she's swelling. So she feels as though she's going to split open. Jane goes and gets Daniel and Olive um, and then William and John also get up because Jane was like freaking out. Uh, as anybody would in that situation uh, she turns so then and then Jane or and then Esther goes pale and started being super fevered all of a sudden which is completely different than she was five minutes ago um, she actually kept swelling like her body kept physically swelling as well all of a sudden out of nowhere thunder like the sound of thunder vibrates through the entire house the, there were three echoing claps, not just like banging noises, like echoing claps of thunder, like a storm that's in the room with them. This would be a good point for sound effects. Uh, not that clever. <laughs> from beneath the bed. So this is coming from under the bed where the quilt box was and where they thought the mouse was. Oh, hell no. I'm out of here. I know, right? No, the family f sticks around. Why so obviously this is a good time to understand that if you are a quilter, don't keep your box of quilting supplies under the bed. Keep it locked up. Burn it! <laughs> Burn it! And that's why I'm not a quilter. Um, after the thunder goes away, Esther just completely returns to normal and then goes to sleep. Yeah, as that's what you do. Completely normal. Just completely goes to sleep. She didn't die. So her family's like, okay, uh, cool. All yeah, good. The and then they all go to bed again. Like yeah. it, they just They just go to bed. Don't even think about it. Just head off to bed. Um, Good God. Esther was fine, but she didn't really eat as much as she usually ate. 
over the next couple days like four or five days she kind of just ate less and she just was kind of you know under the weather but otherwise she was fine like no follow-up sickness nothing no marks nothing everything went back 100% to normal then after about four or five days all of a sudden the same thing happened again except this time Jane was also being affected by random stuff happening so her sheets kept getting pulled off of her and Esther's sheets got pulled off of her as well and they were tossed into the corner so when Jane wandered wandered over being the sensible individual um she fainted okay flat out fainted flat out fainted um clearly not good at survival definitely the right choice of action for that kind of event because what what are you even thinking at that point honestly just be like uh like I don't know. I'd be angry because my feet are cold when you take the blankets off. But. Yes, I know. So obviously when the family comes in, they're trying to recover these sheets. But every time they like replace the sheets over the sisters, mm-hmm. the sheets fly off the sisters again and land in the same corner. Basically, then the poltergeist has a pillow fight with the brother, John. Oh, good. <laughs> and John loses. Oh, good. So, you know, flesh and blood loses a pillow fight. Yeah, it or like trunk. smacked him in the face a bunch of times How can with a pillow. Something that does is not there. That's true. <laughs> You're just swinging at air. Um, Esther, who's swelling again at this point, is like super unhappy without her blanket. So they sit on the sheets to keep them there instead of leaving the house. Take the They're sheets. like, oh, Take- just gonna hold these down with our bodies on the bed that's clearly being affected by some random spirit. Uh, then some loud knocks just come out from underneath the bed and it all stops cold. What is up with this bed? So they called for a doctor because instead of a priest, they called for a doctor. Makes sense. Uh, the doctor comes by around 10 PM and he's like, bull, like, this is not what's going on. You guys are making this up. Like this is, there's gotta be some fake here. And he's like, I'm going to catch this. I think you're lying. I don't believe you. I'm going to catch this. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to catch... No, 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 no. He believes it's, like, falsified. He believes they're faking things. He believes they're making up stories. And he's going to go there and find, like, setups for traps and stuff where it's, you know, it's all, like, wires and mirrors and smoke and stuff. Because that happens back in the early 1800s. That's how magicians would have done it. yeah. Exactly. Um, So... He goes there. Explain this thunderclap underneath my He looks at Esther and he says, she's just in shock. All this is just shock. Shock from what? I have no idea. From, no. No, because she never told anybody about that. They don't know what she's in shock from. This is just shock. That's what he says. This is just shock. Um, That is until he becomes pillow fight fodder, the same as John had the previous night. Because he goes to move the pillow and, gets and it moves right back. Oh. And then he pulls it and it moves right back to under her head. So he does this like several times. Like he's like playing with this thing. <laughs> and then so John, who was dealing with it the night before, challenges it and grabs onto the pillow and tries to keep it where he wants it. And rather than just leaving the cottage. Because, of course, that's what you do. Uh, and he's and so he's challenging it but it still beat him so him with all his might a nice youth in the prime he's yanking on this pillow and the pillow wrenches itself out of his grasp and slides back under her head and then the knocking she's always always laying in the bed uh well she's sick right 
And so then the knocking starts under the bed again, but this time things didn't stop right away. When the doctor moves to find the source of the knocks, they literally follow him around the room while he's looking around to see where the knocking is coming from. All the way while he's moving, he just follows him around. And you said it was three knocks, right? Well, this is just like consistent knocking. So every time he like moves around, it goes and knocks under his feet so he can feel emanating up through the floorboards. Oh, under the floorboards. Yeah. Uh, and all the families inside this room. And then all of a sudden, in the room, while they're all in the room... He's listening to these knocks under his feet, looking around to find how they're faking this. Behind the bed that Esther's in, on the wall, it comes up and scratches, like it makes a scratching sound. He goes over to investigate, and it says, on the wall, behind her headboard, Esther Cox, you are mine to kill. Oh. Ha! GTFO, buds. Just get right out. And don't stop. Don't pass go. Just get out. Imperfect cursive? I Well, it didn't specify. I don't suspect it was in cursive because it's really hard to in. etch a cursive. So instead of leaving, they stay. Yeah, uh, that's what you do, of course. Yeah. So over the next course of several weeks, Esther is better and worse and better and worse. She has objects, food thrown at her, like potatoes and bread. Oh, so this, this entity is just tormenting and oh absolutely and the doctor is like seeing all this so 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 the doctor's like here have some morphine and leaves okay yeah okay he's just like morphine fixes everything here you go so she this this will make your torment a lot more pleasurable yeah exactly at least you're high (laughs) you won't feel it oh my god so that there we have it uh doctors say that the result is if you have a poltergeist, just take some morphine. Just take some morphine. Yeah. I don't know about the beginning today, of the. I don't. Do, I don't know about today's medicine, but beginning uh, of the beautiful pharmaceutical company. So, uh, basically, yeah. Instead of it, attention on the events, it uh, just distracts you because it's super addictive, and all you can think about is morphine. <laughs> Good plan. Let's get high. Yeah, Doc was Doc was trying. If if you ain't gonna escape this, I'll make it more pleasurable for you. so so this whole time it's banging inside and out of the cottage making noises constantly driving the family insane in late september esther has a seizure and she goes cold and rigid and they're like oh now she's dead but she wasn't she was just having a seizure um and that's when she decides to come clean about not so fancy bob mcneil and his little plan to pull out a revolver and coerce her physically come back and serve uh when recovered she didn't remember letting the truth out she didn't remember saying anything about the whole event so this happened while she was having um her her seizures in between one of the fits she randomly tells everybody but when she wakes up from the fits, she has no recollection of telling anybody about that and she'll she's like well how did you guys know she had like a moment of clarity but well, it would be the opposite, like a moment of lack of control, because that's when she lost control and spilled the secret she'd been keeping, right? Mm. So um, the knocking, the sister realized, was intelligent eventually, so they started up a good old chat with the poltergeist. A one knock was no, two was I don't know, three was yes. And a Ouija board wasn't... I don't know if that was a thing at the time. I don't know if that was at that or i think that was later i think ouija boards came far later Hmm. and certainly no lights on the walls with letters to write on 
I'll ask Stranger Things. Stranger Things. Uh, they finally, finally, after like a month of this, call some clergymen. So um, instead of just leaving, they called some spiritual leaders throughout October 1878. So so the family, instead of just like being like, nope, I'm out. They're like, let's call some clergymen now. It's October. We've been dealing with this for too long. It's loud. I can't sleep. We keep getting interrupted. And oh, yeah, Esther keeps almost dying every night. Um, lots of the clergy had like ludicrous ideas about what was going on. Like Esther was a human battery and the thunder was actually invisible lightning events that she was providing the energy for. So completely not at all what lightning is or thunder. (laughs) Uh, another saw a bucket of cold water that boiled without heat. What? Yeah. So they were like, that's why she's a human battery. She did that with her body because all the electricity that she released boiled that bucket of ice cold water i don't think in even the like the heaviest fever you could boil water yeah so some thought that esther was a hypnotist who would like hypnotize the people everybody every single person in the room would get hypnotized and she would tell them that these things were happening and they believed it um this continued so some just thought it was being faked too which was obviously the doctor's opinion as well This all continued until December when she actually caught diphtheria, which is a bacterial infection from contaminated milk or animals or other humans. And usually it's pretty good. Like it doesn't harm you too badly unless a bacteria is also infected with a virus. Then the toxins that the bacteria release can seriously make a person sick, like localized swelling, paralysis, damage to nerves, kidney, the spleen, even hemorrhages like bleeding in the skin and mucous membranes. It can eventually cause permanent disability or death. Now, some of these things are things that she was experiencing prior, and it can take weeks, sometimes a month, to actually have enough of the symptoms to be diagnosed with diphtheria. So you can have it, suffer some of the symptoms, but not suffer enough to make a true diagnosis. So she was finally diagnosed with diphtheria, and some of the things she was suffering are things that diphtheria can give you. Things like localized swelling, paralysis, damage to nerves, hemorrhages like basically everything that diphtheria has are things that she was experiencing prior however doesn't explain the knocking or the like things carved in or you know bed bed clothes or pillows flying all over on their own accord i don't know well she was sick for two weeks and during that two weeks period of time she was so sick she couldn't get out of bed but there were no poltergeist issues okay um So after that, she went to New Brunswick to visit some family, and she didn't have any issues. Okay, to clarify for anybody who doesn't know, Nova Scotia and New Brunswick are fairly close by, so it's not really a far stretch to believe that she would just get up and go travel to New Brunswick. They're all down east. Way far down east. Not not Norwestern, but Canada. Uh, She came home and then stayed in a different room than Jane. Uh, because she thought part of they the family thought part of the problem was she and Jane were together in the same room however it actually made it worse than it was before so Jane was actually making it less bad so then um lit matches started materializing falling from the roof and dropping onto beds which super dangerous especially back in those days when things weren't not like non-flammable items um, the noises got louder and more frequent. There were way more things being thrown around the house, like ridiculous things. 
um, one of her night clothes moved on its own and then burst into flames in her bedroom. A fire in the cellar happened um, and then some like random stranger wandered in and put out the cellar fire. A random but, like, stranger. It did a bunch of damage in the house. Um, and then Esther started hearing things. Oh, hearing things. Just About her. Time. And she's the only one that could hear the ghost. About time. One night, it straight up told her to get out. Get out. Like, stay out of the house. Like, get out of the house. Like, don't come back to this house. So, it, it was helping. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't so, know. Okay. And then she finally took the hint and moved. About time. Next door. Next door. Yeah. <laughs> God, the spirit just looks over and says, well, that wasn't that far. <laughs> So nothing happened for a while until a brush disappeared and then reappeared, falling right close to her head. Like it looked like it was being aimed to be dropped on her head and she just happened to move before it had a chance to do it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, A few weeks after that, fires started in the neighbor's house and she spent her days. So when they realized like she was caught the cause, not the cause, but she was the draw of where the fires were starting. I'd say she was the cause. She went, well possibly uh so the neighbor was basically like okay new plan don't spend your days in my house you can go work in my pub because the neighbor owned a pub okay so she would spend her day in the neighbor's pub after that um a bunch of stuff happened at the pub things getting thrown at her a lot things like materializing out of thin air from one place in the bar to another place in the air and like pelting her um more food getting thrown at her um and then one day a boy's knife like came out of his pocket flew across the room and embedded itself in her back by her shoulder. This this girl. And then, so somebody, like uh, the neighbor walks by, pulls the knife out of her back, hands it back to the boy, and he's like, like, hold on to that. And it pulls itself out of his pocket again, flies across the room while everybody's looking at it, and again, in exactly the same spot, lands on her back. Yeah. So then, finally, the end of the year rolls around, and it's 1879. She goes to New Brunswick, St. John. Uh, she just had an awful year. Just an awful year. It's bad luck. It, it's terrible. It, my, this next year is going to be all... There's a Who song about that. Yeah, I think so, yeah. So she goes to St. John, New Brunswick, to visit family again. Some scientists, finger quote, visit her there. They use the alphabet and knocking to start spelling out things because they're not just responding yes, no, maybe. Now they're saying, they basically, what they do is they say, knock when I get to the letter. So they'll go A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And now it's a G. Eventually, it spells out Bob Nickel and a couple other names as well. So Other names. Yeah, there's like a bunch. So Bob Nickel, Maggie Fisher, Peter Cox, and Mary Fisher, Jane Nickel, and Eliza McNeil all come up. So maybe the one voice was... Okay, so back to what you said. The one voice was just telling her and trying to... But get her away. Yeah. Well, stuff doesn't... I mean, stuff follows her, but not as much as it it happens when she's in her living house. Yeah. So... um. So then she's done her trip in in New Brunswick. She goes back to Nova Scotia, back to the countryside for eight gloriously uneventful weeks. To the countryside. Why leave? But because you miss your family, your family's at home, they need money or income or help or whatever, so you go back to visit your family. Screw you, Bob Well, it clearly clearly isn't just the house because she went to the neighbor's house and it was still happening there. They went to the neighbor's pub in town and it was still happening there. 
So so she goes home and it all starts over. Uh, so uh, Walter Hubble, who kind of heard about her while she was in New Brunswick, he was the world's like first aspiring great Amherst mystery writer who was vying for attention and popularity, I guess. He moved in and paid to be attacked by objects. He got paid. Well, yeah. <laughs> to get be tossed or getting things tossed at him. Well, by a poltergeist, yeah. And then he wrote about it. He was like, yeah, I volunteer to live in this crazy, insane house where stuff just shows up and starts whacking me in the face. It's fine. At one point... I think there's sports with that, like baseball. He continues, he continues uh, talking to the ghost by knocking. Mm-hmm. At one point in conversing with these ghosts, they said that they'd seen the devil and they could also tell time. So, like, they knew what time of day it was. So they were aware of... Of the, the entities of, were... The, the entities that, like, all the people's names, you know, Nickel, Fisher, Cox, Fisher, Nickel, and McNeil, mm-hmm. they were all aware of what time it was that during was like the day, when it was going. It does. A really, really big one. So she, finally, her family got sick of it and kicked her out of the house, and they were like, you cannot live here. Her friend, whose name was Arthur Davidson, took her in. Um, however, then their barn burned down. And so she was charged and convicted and went to jail for burning down a barn for arson. She spent four months in jail, but she was released in, or she was told to spend four months in jail, but she was released in three because of good behavior, they said. They said. Or maybe they just got sick of things materializing in her cell. Like, we just took that away from you. How did you get it again? And she's standing there, like, rubbing her head. And, like, she's got, like, a stick in her hand. And she's like, I don't know. <laughs> and there's just etching on the walls. Yeah. She's mine. Exactly. Um, some stories say she was acquitted. But everything I see is that she was convicted and spent time in jail. Regardless of one way or the other, whether she spent time in jail prior to the conviction or acquittal or whether she spent three months in jail afterwards like different stories say different things and i couldn't find the real actual court case for it hmm. i didn't look very hard but i couldn't find it um eventually she got married to a man after she was released from jail in 1882 uh she had one son uh, by adam porter who was her first husband first husband okay yeah adam porter was uh, no activity ever happened after she got married. Um, Maybe a strong pr- male presence. Sometimes I hear that that actually has to, you know, protection. To be, yeah, maybe. Um, eventually, she, so that was, she lived with Adam Porter in Canada. Um, after that, uh, I think he died. I believe he died. Um, she ended up marrying another person named Peter Shanahan, I think that's how you pronounce it, in 1896 and had a second son by Peter Shanahan and, and eventually moved to Massachusetts in the States and she died there in 1912. She was 52 years. Hopefully peacefully. In, um... 1919 a bunch of research kind of came up after she died and a psychologist dr prince said she was really really good at tricking people and she suffered based on like the written information Mm -hmm. that uh hubble had taken a bunch of notes while he was living with her and dr prince basically came back and said well 
she was really good at tricking people into things and she suffered really badly from dissociation which was like a mental issue she also possibly had hysteria and then caused the hoaxes as a result of the original attack that caused a whole bunch of mental issues caused her to dissociate caused her to do all this stuff which gave her all these like these were all excuses for attention basically afterwards yeah how how you explain like the knocking Anyway, so a ton of newspapers are written in the time. You can still read some of them. And a whole bunch of stuff was written by Hubble. So I had never heard about it before, and then all of a sudden I did. And that's my story. It's actually pretty interesting. I kind of feel bad for the girl. Fascinating. Yeah. So let's hear yours. Okay. So if you're not familiar with southern Ontario, more specifically the areas around Hamilton, I will recommend a fest fantastic historical landmark that will be infamously haunted and yet not always talked about the historical building of Dunry castle was my top choice for this week and uh, I, I i find it very interesting so why is it not talked about and discussed well we'll talk to you about that why remember i said it's like there's two types of walks uh, or is the ghost walk and then you have mm-hmm. the historical walk well like i said um like i said before the historical tours don't really believe in the idea of ghosts uh so a quick background history so the of dundard castle it was built in 1832 and completed in 1835 making it 184 years old it was built by sir alan sir alan McNabb. Uh, on the land that originally was owned by Richard Beasley. Beasley had constructed his own brick house there on Dundurn Heights, but with his financial difficulties, had to sell to McNabb. Oh, poor McNabb. You know, I mean, yeah. to buy some guy's poor old house. Brick house? Oh, the thing was massive. If it's So McNabb used the foundations of the brick house to build what is eventually now the Dundurn Castle. Like I said, McNabb eventually bought the property and built the castle on the foundations of Beasley's old brick house. The castle became famous for its parties and entertainment that McNabb would host. So after McNabb's death in 1862, the castle went empty and it was only like bought from the city back in... Bought from the city? It was uh, only until... It was bought from the city in 1899. The city had been restored it in the late 60s, 1960s, to, um, it, it was restored and now is recognized as Canada's most memorable historic site. So that was a quick history. Now the ghost hauntings, which I kind of, there's a few haunting stories. One I find really interesting and the others are just kind of boring as heck. Run of the mill. Who likes ghosts? Well, the first one. Now, there's a numerous ghost stories surrounding the castle, and upon reading, um, I'd like to take just a few of those few of those stories. Uh, one of the document one of the reports is that there's it is documented that eight men were hung on the grounds during during 1814. 1814. Hmm. After their deaths, the heads were then separated from the bodies. And then placed on pikes for viewing. Nice. 
The bodies were then later burned and or buried on Salt the and grounds. burn. Yeah. In unmarked graves on the property. Except if they did salt and burn, we wouldn't have an issue with ghosts, would we? No. Richard Beasley's wife, Mary, also died there. The previous owner. Okay. Uh, Sir Alan McNabb is also another um, another document a spirit that roams and his family. And I'll talk about uh, Sophia. So with Ma- uh, McNabb's death actually brought some controversy too because he died in the castle as well. Okay. What What's more contra- um, controversial? around it is that McDab was actually a dedicated Anglican in life and on his deathbed converted to Catholicism. <laughs> so why <laughs> so why is that so <laughs> controversial? I have no idea. But people around him say that that they didn't understand that and they didn't believe it because yeah, like he he was a dedicated Anglican. I wonder if it was like a political ploy or something. Like, just last minute? Or, like, there was only one priest available when he was dying, and, well, and no. the priest walked in and the was wife, like, I'm Catholic, so you better say your prayers in Catholic. His wife actually uh, asked the, the bishop, a Catholic bishop, to come and say his last rites. So that's why. Uh, his body was buried on the east side of Dundard Park, uh, and it was said it was thrown in the in an unmarked grave which i don't believe but why would he be buried in an unmarked grave if he had converted to catholicism he should have been buried in an actual cemetery i don't know is there an actual grave for him i've yet to see it i even looked i tried looking at so sophia McNabb, also the daughter of sir alan McNabb, is also to haunt the property and i'm going to talk to about talk about her in a minute uh, there has also been other deaths and that have occurred on the property over the many years. Some reporting ha- um, activity, more reports from visitors and uh, tour guides of dissembled footsteps that are traveling down the hallways, screams and echoes through the hallways. It's Hamilton. I'm sure you can hear screams a mile away and it's a drafty house. It can go through it. Thin walls. Um, <laughs> doors opening and closing on their own. Uh, drafty, maybe? I don't know. Uh, and it was even reported that men, the men that that were hung still roam, their, uh, roam around on occasions. Same times from hanging on tr- from trees, like hanging... We also have the ghost of Mary Beasley. She is sighted, um, the, f- the first owner. She has been sighted in different areas of the property, just roaming around and just going about her merry way. Ah. Uh, okay, that was bad. It was bad. Um, Your puns are terrible. Reports of her uh, just not caring about the things or people around her, just doing what she wants to do, like her own routine back in. Yeah. So probably like a repeat yeah. image, not an actual like, yeah. she's not mentally there. She's just, it's time repeating itself. Yes. Just, uh, other reports saying an eyewitness of her husband, Richard, also joining her and enjoying 
their company and enjoying what it was once they were home. Okay. So that's that was a nice little story. Uh, but my the story that I really interested me most was the wedding ghost. Always a wedding you, ghost. You hear about. And I always I kind of found it funny because it, there's so many weddings there to have another wedding ghost there. Like just so yeah okay so I also like to think of it as the photo bomber, but isn't any ghost that appears in a, a picture a photo bomber? Unless you're purposely trying to take a picture of a ghost. Yeah. Okay. True. So the story is a unique one, and I actually kind of find it interesting. The wedding ghost. There was uh, a reported of, there's only just this one report of it, and it's there's only one picture of it uh, that's circling around. The incident happened a few decades ago. Uh, it was during the time when photographers used uh, developed film, right? It's not the digital age, so okay. it, it was a few years ago. Yep. So a wedding was taking place on the grounds, and of course, pictures needed to be taken. The photographer wanted the, the groomsmen to stand on the stairs that lead up to um, a stone back wall with a window that's sort of like a bay almost. Uh, it was also like a bay the, window. They call it the drawing room. So nothing out of the ordinary, right? No, but it was until the pictures were taken and developed that something was not right. From the image that was seen uh, that was developed, it looks to be blur a blurry face, not defined nicely, but someone had the bright idea to take the picture to the Hamilton Spectator, the local city paper, right? So the paper must have had, um, had working from a local historian buff or something. But through his investigation or her investigation, this historian determined that it was the face that resembles the overall look of Sophia McNabb. Um, from an old sketch done by Earl William Capel. The illustrator was Sophia's husband. Of the sketch? Of the sketch. Like the sketch artist. Okay. So that so Sophia was married at a young age and she moved away with her husband and had a couple of kids, nine to be exact. And but she died in England at a very old age of eighty four. But she did spend her early early years in living in the castle. And like I previously mentioned, there was many parties and entertainment. So, so she might have had a great stay. She enjoyed her time, and maybe that's why she her spirit kind of came back from England back home. Mm -hmm. So many believe that it is plausible that her spirit still roams because she had a better time living there. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, the picture is uh, circling around the internet. And I, I've seen the picture and it'll be posted on, on the website or, or a link will be in the link. notes. Yeah. And I don't know, make your own decision, but I, I don't see the resemblance, but I'm also really not giving it the detail this historian did. It, the thing I have, it looks like a face. Don't get me wrong. There's some simulators, but I mean. There's but, also, there's no... Ref oh, but, I mean, sorry. people see Jesus and chips and tacos. Sure. 
but it, it also it stands to believe that you know this could be plausible because uh... i know because it, it could have been any sort of phase and a, i am i'm a big skeptic of this because i've seen the picture and i've seen the sketch that is actually in the castle so my next question is and well is this not like maybe the picture that kind of in the room and you're kind of seeing it no the picture is not in that room it's somewhere else in the castle so yeah that was my little story and uh how they we have the assumption it could be the sophia McNabb, and i kind of find it found it interesting other than just the, you know the traditional of oh let's knocking footsteps uh cool breezes yeah. screams things just ordinary to ghost hauntings right but this one was more it happened during a wedding i will say i've been to dundurn castle and it's even if you're just outside it's creepy you think it's creepy like even like mid-afternoon two o'clock you're walking through it's oh i don't get that feeling oh i don't i, don't I get do that, i don't get that feeling but i get that feeling across the street the hamilton at, cemetery at the cemetery there i've been in the cemetery at night and that is creepy I mean, cemeteries do that just because it's a bunch of dead people and nobody's ever comfortable with dead people. It's the safest part in the world. Yeah, nobody gets up to talk to you. It's quiet. (laughs) Except for the ingrates who break things in cemeteries at night. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, no, I've been to Dunder. I recommend it. Even if you're going just for the history tour, there's so much history in that house. Go go for the ghost tour ghost tour walks you you can find them on the websites hamilton ghost walks um but even if you just go to dunder and castle during the day i mean yes go for a day tour you learn so much history in overlooking in the backyard for the the bay yeah oh it's amazing well you never really went into detail about that like why it's on the bay in the first place there's cannons there there's cannons and there's history it actually was uh it was one of the points of major points of defense yes. for that area while they were doing the war of eight. We are sorry that it's late. We just had some, we see. weren't in town. Don't have to. It's hard to record stuff. when you're not recording. We at have home. stuff to do. We have lives. Beyond, not that this is an important part of our life. This podcast. is a sweet hobby. Yes. I enjoy researching documented history. Anyway, so for future reference, um, you can find us on Buzzsprout, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Basically, everywhere that podcasts can be found, you can locate us at this point in time. Please re- uh, leave a review, comment. Yeah, if you can review or comment or download. So we know actually someone's it. listening. Yeah, it makes our stats page look awesome. Yeah. Like we actually we're, are doing this for a reason begin- other than us. We're still beginning so i'm sure that it's not polished perfectly but i always like go on as soon as it's uploaded and like download the episode so that i get at least one download oh come on i do every now, time so nine viewers just turned to eight it's it's probably i am and nine viewers had like four. and my dad only listened to the first one <laughs> he was like i support what you're doing but you're boring <laughs> your own father i can't get through your half of the episode and i'm sure he hasn't listened to another one since <laughs> i fixed it for you dad you're not even listening i don't blame you i wouldn't listen to me either you always said when i was a kid i talked too much <laughs> Jeez. anyway uh you can also connect with us on facebook we are norwestern whispers there 
Um, you can connect with us on Instagram, Norwestern Whispers, or Twitter at Whispers Pod. Pretty much either at Whis- at Whispers Pod or Norwestern Whispers. Um, and if you want to send us any stories, uh, make any suggestions, um, constructive criticism, preferably. We'd love to hear them. Yes, please tell us. Uh, we'll try to put and it on we'll the show. Read them on, yeah, we'll yeah, read it on the show. For sure. We'll try to base an entire episode around it if we can. Yeah. If it's a good story. Not good. If it's a a expandable story, we'll try to do our best to expound upon it. Uh, or you can, so you can email us at gmail.com. So it's uh, norwesternwhispers at gmail.com. Don't put the apostrophe in. It's just norwestern whispers, norwestern whispers all one word, no capitals. And that should do for uh, another episode, episode four. Thank you for listening. Thank you, thank you for listening, if you got this far. (laughs) And always remember to listen to a little whisper in your ear. Good night.